I want to welcome you this morning, and I want to say Merry Christmas. Just two weeks, two weeks and a day till Christmas time, and I want to welcome everybody who is watching online. We are so glad that you are here with us today. If you're a guest and you might be looking for a church home, I just want to encourage you right after the service, if you would go out to our guest services, we've got all kinds of information for you, and that'll help you make a good decision, but we're going to ask you to pray about being a permanent part of the family right here at Central Community Church. And what a great family it is, right? I want to tell you that over this last weekend, in the last two days, we ministered to more than 7,000 people. Can you imagine that? We had some 6,300 that came in purpose, in person, and then we had another seven or 800 online Thank you, Central Community, for allowing us to lead this community in worship of that baby born at Bethlehem. So we're in a series right now, and it's called Making Room. And last week, we focused on making room for others. But in order to make room for others, you remember that the first thing that we have to do is we have to make room for the baby Jesus in our lives, right? We talked about the, the, the passage in Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And remember, that's not just an occasional knock. That's a constant knocking. Why? Because Jesus wants to be in fellowship with you. And when you are in fellowship with him, it is natural that you impact lives for Jesus. One of the things that I started doing, oh, a while back was is, I began my quiet time a little different. And I did this because I read this in a book and I thought I would try it and, and I really enjoy doing this. So before I start my quiet time, and I, I try and make that, most of it, it's the very first thing I do in the morning. And I sit in my chair and I open my hands like this and I say, I close my eyes and I just say, Lord, here I am. Have mercy on my soul. And then I shut my mouth. And I just listen. I set a timer on my phone. And it started out with just two minutes. I was amazed at how fast that two minutes went. I would check my phone. Are you sure that was two minutes? Because I don't do very well being still. And then I increased it and I increased it. And my goal is get to 10 minutes in the morning where I'm just saying, Lord, here I am. Good morning. I'm here to spend time with you. Have mercy on my soul. But there was always something that always kind of hung in the back of my mind. And you know what it was? I was going to be in the presence of God because I wanted to hear his voice. And 99% of the time, I never heard his voice. And I thought I was doing something wrong. I thought maybe there's something that I'm not doing right that God doesn't want to speak to me. And then I heard a pastor friend of mine set me straight, and now I understand. And this is what he told me. He said, Bob, when you're around some of your closest friends, are you talking constantly? I said, no. In fact, most of the time, we sit in peace and quiet. And he reminded me, he said, so what's the joy in that? Well, the joy is being in the presence of my friend. 
Now you understand when you come into the presence of God and you don't necessarily hear his voice, what you are saying to him is, even though you may not be speaking to me, I love to sit in your presence. And that, my friends, is what opens the door to God speaking to you loud and clear. I challenge you, no, I double dare you, that when you wake up, just enjoy not what God can give you, but just enjoy being in his presence, being still and quiet with the creator of the universe. Today now we're going to move on to making room for hope. And so I wanted to see if you knew this. Did you know that a man can live 40 days without food? I would never want to try that. But you can live 40 days without food. That same man can live three days without water. An individual can live anywhere from six to eight minutes without air. But that same person cannot live one minute without hope. We need hope in our lives. In fact, my friends, if you have no hope, you cease to live. One of the things that I found out that's really interesting is hope has now become one of the top five subjects of research engines since the pandemic. Everybody wants to know the implications of hope and what happens when we have hope. One research found that young adults who have chronic illnesses, when they looked at the importance of hope in their lives, they found out that hope brought about better coping skills, that hope allowed them to make better decisions and hope gave them a sense of purpose. But they also recognized that hope protected them from suicide and depression. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because I think depression and, and suicide are, are a result of hopelessness, aren't they? But when you think about teens, and these are the people that they're telling us that have been most damaged by this pandemic, a teen finds their self-esteem their well-being, their ability to belong, and their ability to make good choices, it's all found in hope. So let me show you real quickly what the world is telling us about hope, okay? When hope is in short supply, here are two things you should practice. Number one, practice gratitude. In other words, if you walk around being thankful, it's going to bring about hope. Interesting. Here's another one. Visualize realistic ways that our circumstances may improve. Oh, that's a good one. Didn't work. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That's what the world is telling us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's from Harvard. 
Are you kidding me? Listen to me, and listen very carefully. Our hope is only as strong as the anchor in which it is attached. So let me ask you this morning, what are you hoping for? Or maybe I should say, what is it that you are putting or placing your hope in? Stand with me out of respect for God's Word. I'm going to read a verse from Romans 5, verse 5. Listen very carefully to this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is our hope. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help me to realize that hope is a gift from the very anchor of my hope, the person, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I thought this was really interesting. A recent study concluded that today, people today are living more in fear than they ever have in our country. I want to say that again. More people today are living in fear than they ever had in the time and life of our country. Well, you know what? When I think about that, I can understand why, can't you? I mean, think about it. There's wars going on all around the the world, right? We have unstable governments. Think about the natural disasters, the fires, the rains, the earthquakes. Think about the threat now that we have here in the United States of a terrorist attack within our own borders, let alone outside of the walls of our country. Our country has always developed the habit of finding their hope in its government. That's kind of going down the tubes real quick. And you know what else is happening? The next result is is we always try and find hope in the next candidate, and that's not working either. My My friends, here is the issue that our world is dealing with. They are looking desperately for someone or something to place their hope. That's why right now, during this Christmas season, eight out of 10 people that you invite to a Christmas program or service will come. Now, before we go on any further, I think it's really important that we identify what the world calls hope. In other words, what's the definition that the world gives hope? Here's the definition of hope when it comes to the world. A very strong wish, and the strength of that wish is found in the strength of the desire. Yeah, you heard me. 
So think about this. My hope is only going to be as strong as the strength of my desire. I'm just going to be really honest with you. As soon as I bring myself into the equation, I'm in trouble. But you know how the Bible describes hope? The Bible describes hope as a confident expectation in the promises of God based on his faithfulness. Praise God. Isn't that incredible? It's the confident hope. It's that confident expectation. When I expect something, just ask my wife. In my mind, it's a done deal. And isn't that the way God thinks too? I want want to show you something here. If there were nothing eternal in a person, they could not despair. Just let that resonate for a minute. If there was nothing eternal in a person, they could not despair. Here's what I want you to, to think about. You and I were created for something more. You know why? Because eternity was created in our hearts. What I want you to understand is this. This is what that means. Because create, or eternity is created in our hearts, I know this. Something better's coming. Do you realize, Central Community Church, our best days are still to come? Now, I know some of you thinking, well, good, that must mean maybe his best sermon is yet to come. We're not going there, okay? (laughs) That wasn't funny. (laughs) But do you understand that? Think about some of our people who have lost loved ones recently. I think about John Smith, who stood right here just three weeks ago, and a week ago, he went to be with Jesus. You know what? His best days, he's enjoying right now. Remember, my dear friends in Christ, our best days are yet to come. I read recently that there was a time period in the United States, it was It was from 1812 until 1825. You know what they called this time period? It was called the era of good feelings. Wow, life must have been good back then. I wasn't around then. I don't think you were either. But can you imagine that? During this period, these people developed this. It was an era of good feelings. What does that mean? Boy, things were good, right? So you may remember this. Remember what happened in 1929? The stock market crashed. Listen to some of these statistics that I found. When the stock market crashed, 12 million people on that day lost their jobs. 20,000 companies were gone. But here's the thing that really grabbed a hold of me. 23,000 people committed suicide. You know why? Hopelessness. They didn't have hope. And maybe what hope they had, they put their hope in the wrong thing. My dear friends in Christ, you need hope. And if you don't have hope, 
I'm going to show you right now the reason why you should have hope. Look at what the Bible tells us. This ought to get you excited. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, that's your hope. That's the rock that we stand on, and that rock is secure. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He came as a baby. He lived that perfect life. But death could not hold him in the grave. Yahoo! And God raised him from the dead. And when God raised him from the dead, from that moment, God looks at all of us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? We have hope. We have nothing to fear. You know why? Because I know where I'm going. And I hope you do too. Now, I want to go back to the Old Testament for just a minute because I think there's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories. I probably say that a lot. All the stories are great stories. But it's a story of a young lady by the name of Rahab. Remember that name? So you remember that God had brought the people out of Egypt, and he did that because they were dependent upon themselves. He took them through the wilderness because he had to get rid of that self-independence, and he got them to a point where they were totally dependent upon him. If you're in a place right now in your life where you are totally dependent upon God, you couldn't be in a better place. As the people went through the wilderness, Moses has now died, and the Lord buried him. And now Joshua is the leader, and they have come across the waters of the Jordan. And what looms in front of them is the promised land. And the very first piece of property they must take is a city. It was a well-known city. It's the city of Jericho. Let's pick up the story here. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and enter your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. So now here we have this woman named Rahab. She's a prostitute, which means in that part of the world, she was a nobody. She was scum. And yet, the Bible tells us that she risked her life 
for two spies who were coming to take over her hometown. Now, I don't know about you, I'm a little intrigued, so let's find out some more about this. And said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. This is Rahab talking. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is a God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Wow. You talk about a hopeless situation. Now listen to what the spies say to Rahab. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a what? Oh, come on. So she let them down by a? Through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. So it seems like they've come to an agreement. Now what I want you to see next are the conditions of the agreement. Here we go. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into our house. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there it is. There's the agreement. Rahab's life will be saved if she hangs a scarlet cord from her window, a scarlet rope. Now, this wall in Jericho was so wide that people lived in the wall. Can you imagine what Rahab might have had to go through when the doors were opened to the city gate and the people went out and somebody said, hey, Rahab, you got a rope dangling from your window. It doesn't reach all the way to the ground. What are you going to do with that? Oh, nothing. I just thought I'd have it there for decoration. But here's what I want you to know about this. That rope for Rahab became her hope. Now listen very carefully to this. In the Hebrew vocabulary, there's a word that you need to learn, and the word is tikva. Tikva. The word tikva means great expectation. It means hope. But there's something else you need to know about this word tikva, what it also means. It means rope. Isn't that amazing? Do you hear the message that God is sharing with us about hope? That scarlet cord, that tikva, that those people knew was a rope of hope. That's what it was. 
And Rahab and her family all had to be within the house. That scarlet cord, that rope of hope, that cord that symbolized hope, had to be hanging outside of her window. And only then would that rope of hope save her. In our lives, my friends, when our world seems to be turning upside down and our lives seem to be falling out of control, God has given to us a tikva, a hope of rope, and his expectation is simply this. Grab onto that rope with everything you have. Now, there was one problem. And the problem was this, the rope was in the window, but Rahab and her family still had to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. How are you at waiting? Here's what I want you to learn from this. Hope is rooted in waiting. I know I hate it as much as you do. But hope is rooted in its waiting. Take a look at this. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. You see, Rahab and her family had this scarlet cord But until that promise was fulfilled, they didn't know what to do. How did they not know what to do? Because they didn't know the God who was the God of the Hebrews. This is what the Scriptures tell us that we should do when we are in a time of waiting. And so God's expectation of Rahab was this. Rahab, you and your family need to be joyful in the hope that this cord, this promise, will save your life and the life of your people. Rahab, you need to be patient in your affliction. And last of all, you need to be faithful in prayer. In other words, listen very carefully. Rahab had to pray to a God. It was the one true God, but it was the God that she didn't know. And what was she praying for? That he would what? Save her. What a great story. So now my question for you is this. What do you do in that time of waiting? What is the rope that you grab onto during your time of waiting? What do you do when that doubt is stuck in your head? And the answer is very simple. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. No, let me rephrase that. It's a connected relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember last week? It's a relationship where you are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That is your hope. So you grab onto that fellowship. That's your rope of hope. You grab onto that. 
But the question now is, is, well, so what's my rope of hope? And the answer is this, it's the promises of God. It's the promises of God. I remember when I was 14 and I had a little brother who was laying in a hospital bed. He was seven years old and he was totally unconscious. He was perfectly fine the day before. And all of a sudden, there was a great tragedy that night in our house. The last words that I heard my brother say were, Dad, am I going to die? I remember my dad responded to him by saying, Michael, you're in Jesus' hands. We found out later that he had a tumor. It had wrapped around his esophagus, and it had clamped his esophagus shut, so he went without air. And what we found out is he went out with air too long, and it killed his brain. I prayed, God, heal him. I prayed, God, make him better. I'm sorry for all those times I hung him on that hook by his underwear. (laughs) But I prayed, God, make my little brother well. I remember it was a Monday night. We were in Topeka, and we were playing in the city championship game, and that night we were having a meeting of the family with the doctors, and I thought we were just going to talk about what's the next thing that we're supposed to do. And the doctors came in, and I can remember this doctor to the day. He had a crew cut. He didn't smile. And I remember he said to my mom and dad, he said, there's no brain activity. He said, Michael's not there. I want to tell you something. I can't imagine what would have happened if I didn't have hope even as a 14-year-old young boy. You see, I was raised in a Christian family. I was raised to know that my God would never leave me or forsake me. I was raised to know and believe that my God could answer any prayer. But I also learned that God's ways were not always my ways. Some people would say, God didn't answer your prayer. Oh, no, he did answer my prayer. He healed Mike totally, and he took him home to heaven. You know what my hope was at that moment? It was this. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. My hope was that Michael was healed and he is still alive. He's just living in another zip code, if you know what I mean. But I also know this, you guys, as sure as you are sitting here, I know that I will see him again. How do you know that, Pastor Bob? Because God and the way he has walked with me in my life, he is faithful to his promises. And the Bible even tells us that God swore an oath. And Hebrews 6 tells us that he swore an oath about himself. He can not lie. 
That's hope. That's real hope. Now, there may be somebody here who says, you know what, I just don't have that kind of hope. And I would say, yet. But I also would remind you of this. People talk about despair. They talk about hopelessness. What I want you to understand about despair is this. People don't lose hope. People don't become or fall into despair simply because God didn't answer their prayers the way they wanted, he wanted them to. People fall in despair. People become hopeless when they believe that the actions that they have taken did not matter. And what I want you to know is prayer is powerful. And prayer is the very tool, it's the vehicle that God uses to give us the strength to get up by our bootstraps and continue on, walking and believing that I know that God knows the plans he has for his people. Plans not to harm, but plans to give what? Hope and a future. And I am a living testimony that my God is faithful. And so we grab onto those promises. We cling to the words in the scriptures. And that's where we find our hope. I want to close with this. There was a lady, she was having a lot of success in her business. And she decided to throw a party. She was moving her office to a new building because she had been so successful, and she called the florist, and she ordered a bunch of flowers. She explained to the florist what she was doing, and the florist said, I'll make sure I get them to you. Three days later, the flowers showed up, and there was a mistake because the flowers said, rest in peace. So the lady went to the florist, and she was complaining to the lady, what is this, rest in peace? That's not why I ordered. Well, right next to her was the funeral director who had come in to complain about the same thing. And he said to the lady, he says, woman, you think you have problems? I've got to explain to a family who just got a set of flowers that reads, good luck in your new location. <laughs> Pastor George told me that one. <laughs> You have a reason to have hope. In Luke 2, when the Bible says, and this baby came and it says he was lying in a manger, it mentions that it was lying in a manger, not once, not twice, but three different times. You see, what God, I believe, was telling us was this. That manger describes the kingdom of how Jesus will rule. How did he come? He came in obscurity. He came in humility. And he came even for the lowliest shepherds. And yet, the angels announced his birth. Now let's compare that to one other person that we find in Luke chapter 2, and his name was Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the Roman Empire, and he was a very evil and a wicked man. And he got to be where he was because he killed off all of his enemies. His last one was Mark Anthony, and Mark Anthony committed suicide. 
Caesar Augustus was the one who took the Roman world, who was ruled by a senate, and now made it a dictatorship. And it was run by the emperor, emperor, which was Caesar Augustus. Look at how he came into the world. He came into the world shedding blood. He came into the world announcing that it was all about him. He came into the world proclaiming to the Roman people he was God. And what did our God do? Our God took the evil plans of this horrible man and he set into the place a decree that Caesar Augustus made that all the world should be taxed. And Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem because they were in the lineage of David. That's where I put my hope in the God who orchestrates all things, even that which is evil, for good. That's the anchor of my soul, and that's the reason for the hope that I have. It's found in that baby, in that manger, in Bethlehem. The one who the angel said would save his people from their sins, the long-awaited Messiah, my Christ and yours. Heavenly Father, thank you for hope. Not the hope of the world, but the hope that comes from that baby born at Bethlehem. Thank you, Father, that you have created in my heart eternity which means I know my best days are yet to come. And God, in those moments, and there will be moments when I will struggle, there will be times when I will feel uneasy, remind me of your promise. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, Bob, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in the hope of the world. And it's in that name I pray and all God's people said, amen. Do you have hope? Amen. amen. Would you please stand? And I want to dismiss you with the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his joy, and his hope. God bless you. You are loved. Have a great week.